Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today I'm speaking with filmmakers Hannah Barlow and Kane Sennis about their incredible new horror film, Sissy. Sissy is a stupendous film with such an incredible horror vibe to it. I have to ask, first of all, did you have a friendship in your lives that was like the relationship between Sissy and I don't want to say yourself, but yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I've had a few, you know, you have those intense relationships when you're a young girl. I think the sort of horror of this film is specific to the female, young female experience. Um, I know that male uh, relationships can have some similar sort of, but I don't think I don't think it's as psychological as as it is with um, with young girls. The heartbreak, the, the first heartbreak that we experience um, as as people is with our friends, especially our female friends. And um, I have the, a lot of the references that we've buried in the film are honoring my best friend Molly. Um, who I'm still best friends with. And we never had that toxic fallout, but the intensity of the love between us is definitely there. But I've had those friendships since where you you just like fall in love with someone, you consume someone and they become a part of your identity. And then when that, that the bully or the other, the cooler person comes along and drives a wedge between you, that, that heartbreak is, is devastating. I mean, I think I have felt more heartbroken by those fallouts than I have breaking up with partners, mm. romantic partners. So I think there's a universality in that. I think all most women can relate. I definitely think that's true. I, I certainly remember for me the first time my best friend suddenly was better friends with somebody else. And yeah. It's interesting how I think all women have this experience, this shared experience of what that is like. As you were crafting this story together, first of all, I love that you have a gaze that is both incorporating queer perspectives and also disability as well as BIPOC lenses. And I wondered if you could comment a little bit on what drew you to tell this story in that way. I think we wanted to just, I mean, millennials, Gen Z, like the world's become global. Why do we need to keep seeing the same characters over and over again? Simple as this is, these are the people I know. This Mm -hmm. is my friendship circle. Daniel Monks, who plays Jamie, we wrote the role for him um, because he's a good friend of mine and he actually cast me in his first feature. So it came about that way. Yeah. Yeah, It wasn't necessarily something that was kind of written, I guess, for his disability. but similar to all the actors, um, he kind of encouraged us to, you know, um, to push the character further and and to not have any qualms about what you can or can't do to or a likability to a disabled character mm-hmm. because um, he, he as an actor he wants to be able to play the same roles as as anybody else and similarly with really all of the actors in the film. I mean, I remember when when we first spoke to Asia. Um, about playing Sissy, she just said, you know, normally people don't let me play this kind of role because as a person of colour, I've got to be a sympathetic character. I've got to be a hero in some way. And in many, there's a lot of kind of, I guess, white apologists, uh, uh, apologism, whatever you call it, 
apologiness is that a thing that's yeah. that's wrapped up in that yeah and they just she just really said i love this character i want to play this character and um i, I am I, this character i, I am this, this character and it's really got nothing to do with race in that sense and and i should be able to have access to the same roles and we kind of fully agreed and um you know, uh, it's it's just, I don't know. It came know. about the way it came about. If you look at kind of slashes throughout history, they socially and politically tend to kind of represent the times in which they were made. And it's not to say that anything has necessarily changed with the amount of talented actors um, from, from those minority backgrounds that have ever existed before. It's just that they historically haven't been cast in these kinds of movies and hopefully that changes moving forward. Um, and if our film could just be a kind of small drop in the ocean of that or a step along the way, then like, why not use that opportunity to do that? It's just, far, it's far more interesting and it's representative of, of our generation and the time and the society in which we live. So, you know, I think there's a lineage there of representing your society in, in, in uh, slashes specifically. Yeah, absolutely. You make perfect points when it comes to race, disability and queerness. There's always this feeling that you have to be a hero or a perfect victim in order to exist in the cinematic landscape. And so as a disabled filmmaker, I really appreciated that Jamie was a bit of an asshole. And I love that. Honestly, that was the first moment when I was like, okay, I love this film. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's great. We, I'm sure that Daniel will be very thrilled to hear that. So we'll definitely let him know. He was pushing us to really step over the line and it's like, Let's make this fun. Yeah, let's so. let's make this guy the most unlikable character in the film. But <laughs> but also, you know, he he just he loved Jamie as well, and he really kind of loved the character and, and added a lot to it in, in in the development process. I think that's wonderful. And then, in terms of how you decided to shape the narrative, as far as the influencer side of things, is also kind of interesting and the pathology of Sissy, whether it's the fact that she has mental health issues or that she's an influencer that is driving her in this way, I don't think is anywhere near as interesting a question as where her vulnerability comes from. So I wondered if you had a thought on that. I think her vulnerability comes from her trying to, like her self-perception, her self-worth comes from that moment where she stabs, uh, spoilers, Uh, her bully in the face with a shovel and it's like, you know, she's saying it's not my fault, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. I think we all have these cringy, painful moments where we don't react well as humans and we'd love to control our narrative, we'd love to change our narrative, we'd love to be perfect beings and that's why social media is so addictive and popular because we can filter out all the flaws. But same to Cecilia, my vulnerability comes from how others perceive me and that's narcissism but because she did this really heinous violent thing as a kid she she's just kind of she's trying to rewrite the story over and over and and she can't do that when she runs into Emma it all gets triggered she has to to face it and she does it in the worst way yeah yeah (laughs) which will happen if you don't do the work like if you don't actually get into therapy and that's the the irony of her being a mental health advocate obviously yeah 
we don't actually do the the because we all have wounding from our childhood. We all have trauma and triggers and parts of our personalities that haven't grown up yet and evolved. And if you don't do the work on yourself, it does have consequences. And um, it's kind of like saying it's like it's it's a lot easier to give advice than to apply that same advice to yourself. So it is possible, I think, to be a mental health advocate and and for your advice to potentially help someone else. Well, they also say therapists are like the most fucked up people, right? So right. And, and they have therapists. I mean, a therapist who's not in therapy is probably uh it's probably not a good thing <laughs> no definitely not a good thing i would absolutely agree but for you two checking in with each other as collaborators i'm just curious how much you had to check in with each other's trauma as you were making this film or if that was anything that you had to worry about at any point um, yeah, we're partners as well romantically like we're married so i think we just do that anyway yeah. on a daily basis i think i think where where it comes from when it like when we start to write something it's just uh because you know when you uh live with someone and you're with someone and you work together you end up kind of spending a lot of your time talking about um what you're working on next um but at the same time we're always just uh, in constant communication about where we're at in our lives, where we're at mentally. Um, we're masochists as well because, like, as soon as we identify, as soon as we have, like, an epiphany about what we're going through or why we behave weirdly that day or yeah. where did that reaction we'll come from, we're out. like, oh, let's hack that, let's yeah. mine it. <laughs> and, and, like, a lot of the time those conversations lead to, you know, gee, that would be interesting to explore in a character and, and it just kind of goes from there. So Because the, the best through lines as writers are the most personal ones, right? So. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you. No, off no, 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 no. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, no, absolutely. But it has to be a challenge when you're dealing with such sensitive emotional material to not make it all about you. How exactly were you able to draw that line in the sand? Hannah, did you feel like Kane had to insert more to accommodate for the female friendship feelings that you had had? as a kid or was that push and pull more natural? I think the push and pull is there. I think um, we keep using this term glitter gore. I think I brought the glitter and I think Kane brought the gore. I think that, you know, I've, I've actually watched Kane's male friendships have a similar quality, uh, which is interesting. Like um, mm. one of your best friendships um, is just as tender. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think it is a push and pull. I think, we like to kind of go deep and... But I, I do think, I, like you're saying, I, I, I think you're just, like, it's very true, you know, like um, writing the film and making the film, you do have to confront uh, things that are uncomfortable and you do have to get into that mind space. I would say kind of gender aside, uh, just the idea of confronting your self-victimization. I mean, we all go through that where we all kind of feel like the world revolves around us. Um, or, you know, um, woe is me, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. I didn't do anything wrong. It was that person's fault. That's something that you you have to check in with yourself. Um, if you're going to write a character about, uh, 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 especially from the, the, the protagonist's perspective, um, when you have a kind of antagonist as a protagonist and vice versa, it's like we, we really have to 
we really have to empathize with that character and understand them. It's not so easy as kind of keeping them at, as an, at, at an arm's length as a villain, like you might have done in a traditional kind of slasher. And so you really have to kind of check that kind of aspect of yourself and that can be confronting. And so sometimes we would need to kind of take breaks from writing and say, well, hold on, this is getting a little personal. But- what, what What's this bringing up for me? What's this bringing up for you? And kind of make sure that it, it tackled um, how we both felt. And, and we knew that if we could get both our perspectives, then it would obviously appeal to a kind of wider audience and not not just a female audience. And I think that self-awareness between us is always the, the fixation and the obsession and the goal. So that's what we're trying to ask of the yeah. audience is like, what are you yeah. avoiding? What are you not aware of? What are you um, holding on to? Well, I'm hoping that it triggers stuff in people that maybe they're like, oh, I should clear this or I should forgive this person. I should forgive myself. So, yeah. That's the game we were playing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ariel. I I hope we answered most of your questions. You did. You did. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Mm